Hey movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 138. So we had one thing in mind for the discussion in correlation with something else, but believe it or not, actually something came up this week that ties it even further into our discussion, which is just in what Bob Ross terms is a happy accident. So this week we're doing the best origin movies in conjunction more or less with the release of Snake Eyes, a G.I. Joe origin. I th- I think is what the movie's actually called. We're not probably going to see this movie, but we're like, a good origin <laughs> story and a good origin movie can be a bit on the nose and cliche. Everyone complains about stereotypical origin stories nowadays, but if you do it right, they can be really, really good and go a long way in establishing your character and getting general audiences to like a character that they may not be familiar with, as we're going to give quite a few examples this week um and so just laying some ground rules what we consider an origin is more or less the narrative is the character becoming this new identity more or less that's it has to be a driving force so as much as we would both i'm sure love to put the original ninja turtles movie on the list we really can't do that because they're already established heroes so you can't just meet our character and they're already this person. You have to have big crux of the story is them becoming this new identity. But uh, before we get into all that, Josh, how you doing tonight, man? I'm I'm hanging in there, man. It's been a long day. Uh, handled some glass today and uh, my hands show it. So uh, we're having a great time. <laughs> yeah, Josh, you've been through the ringer lately. <laughs> Bro, I am... Like, this is, like, this podcast is my one little space of solace right now. Um, it's I your fortress of solitude? Yeah, it really is. Like, wrecking... It was so, really funny, because I was already, like, going to replace my Jeep in, like, a month to two months, and then I wrecked it. So that's fun. Um, and the towing company took it somewhere where I have no idea where it is, and they won't answer my phone calls, so... Oh, that's yeah, fun. Yeah, so I guess it's their problem now. Anyway. Um, <laughs> oof. Well, Josh, yeah. you watching anything good lately? Um, I mean, that Loki finale was a thing. Yes, we will be diving into spoilers in our first yes. discussion topic here. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think. I watched something else this week, and I can't remember what it was. Must not have been good. Oh, I showed... Um, I don't think my parents listened to this podcast, but I showed my youngest brother uh, Invisible Man. Oh, and he is not like he, he's he's still a little baby boy when it comes to horror movies. Yeah, I remember so, you like, introducing him to Haunting of Hill House. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I think the best thing that's going working into his favor right now is he's never seen any of the trailers, so he has no idea what's coming. Which is I was just good, like, yeah, because the trailers yeah, did give away way too much. They really did, and, that, and so like, I think it, that's working. That that worked for him when he watched it because. That 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 scare of when the attic uh, she throws the paint yeah the attic scare if you don't know that's coming oh that's absolutely terrifying that um that one in particular frustrates me because that I think is the best scare in the whole movie and it was in every single trailer yeah like yeah as soon as she goes into the attic I'm just like waiting for it just because I knew it was coming as opposed to if you didn't know it was gonna happen it was kind of like um. Oh, what's it? 
the clap game and the conjuring. Like you knew mm, that that scare yeah. was happening. It was still an effective scare. Uh, also, I think this is the first time that I've known that you have seen the Invisible Man. So I think this is the first time you and I can talk about what you are not an Invisible Man diehard like a certain like I swear I'm yeah. not hipster hipster that is me uh, is about <laughs> the Invisible Man. What did you think about it? I liked it. I mean, the, I definitely I, I agree. The trailers showed a little too much, but um, at the same time, the movie does its job its job for the most part as far as creating that feel of you're a character who has been abused by a boyfriend and now that boy- boyfriend is uh, invisible and wants to kill you. So, yeah, that, it, I think it captures it pretty well. I think it, it doesn't... To me, it's not obviously trying to be the original. Mm-hmm. And so I think I, I, I can appreciate them trying to take a concept like the Invisible Man and bringing it more into this new age of relatively... Science, you you have to science away certain certain things. You can't just be like, yeah, uh, uh, accident. He's invisible now. That's how this works. I will say, <laughs> at, while I I appreciate it as a horror movie, it just wasn't my favorite. It was it was kind of whatever. I appreciate that the trailers did not give away, and I'm not going to give away here on the podcast. I appreciate that the trailers did not give away what happens in the dinner scene with her sister. Mm-hmm. Like yes. I remember seeing that in theaters and you have that brief second where you know what's happening, but it doesn't click in your head as to what's happening. And then it happens mm-hmm. and you're just kind of sitting there stunned going, mm-hmm. um, cause at that point you're like, Oh, okay. She's, she's a smart character. She's trying to meet on the open. That that's a really smart idea. Not even the, out in the open is safe. And I like that concept a lot. Um, I watched the finale of the Fear Street trilogy. I saw a very accurate tweet, and it's so, so true, of this. All the Fear Street movies are the most Netflix thing that Netflix has ever Netflixed. Make of that (laughs) what you will. Um, It's both got its pros and its cons, very much so. Um, I, it was whatever, it was harmless fun. I, there must just be a disconnect for me, because the critics are really reviewing these movies well, I think they're just kind of fine. I think it's. I really struggle with these characters. I don't. I don't get on board with these characters a lot. Uh, speaking of characters that I don't get on board a lot with, I watched Space Jam: A New Legacy, and I posted my yeah. review on the channel. Um, it is not as bad as you're expecting, but at the same time, it is exactly what you are expecting. Um, <laughs> it is. I said in my review. I don't know who is patting themselves on the back more lebron james as the whole movie is just going lebron james lebron james king james how great is king james or warner brothers just going look at all this ip that we have and you don't <laughs> now available on hbo max how however there was one part that i'm just going um warner brothers you have all these hbo max ips and you still make a Back to the Future reference how much did that one yeah. cost you like yeah. that can't be cheap there um, and without saying too much, for those wanting a Michael Jordan cameo, you will both be disappointed and thoroughly happy at the same exact time. Without, <laughs> I can't say too much. It it was very very clever. Like not Nicolas Cage and Teen Titans Go to the Movies clever, but pretty close. Um, as a whole, it was a gorgeous movie to look at from a visual perspective in the same sense that Ready Player One looked pretty good to look at. 
but yeah, Space Jam wasn't very good. But then again, neither was the original, and it's time we all started taking off our nostalgia-tinted glasses and realize maybe the first Space Jam was just as much of an ego trip as this one is for LeBron, because Jordan was also a narcissist. Space Jam's fine. It's not great. It's not bad. It's it's gonna be forgotten about. However, it dethroned Black Widow by quite a bit, which was stunning. That's not hard to do. No. Uh, Black Widow took a nosedive second weekend. Yeah, it's because word of mouth is more powerful than I think studios are willing to admit. Um, So, I don't know if I have talked about it on the pod, but I know I have talked to you about it, about the book series I'm reading right now. About uh, it, so basically, this this uh, author Marissa Marissa Mayer. I've read one of her series before, um, but this she's basically doing retelling a retelling of like different print like fairy tale princesses. Yes. So like uh, Cinderella, um, Red Riding Hood, Snow White, like you know th- th- those ones, but like it's set in this like post apocalyptic like super technology technological advanced like like area it's it's very very interesting anyway so i I was super hooked on the first one first book and immediately went into the second i was like all right this is cool it's getting kind of mushy i don't know why Uh, this is kind of weird josh has gotten into ya romance territory (laughs) got into the third book and i was like all right hold on i like looked at the genre and it's like a sci-fi teen romance i was (laughs) like no, you I got don't, it's like an eight, did. dude. It, it's uh, it's like an eight book series, and I'm halfway through the fourth book right now, and it's one of those like, I feel kind of stupid for getting like reading these as a full full grown adult male, but at the same time, gosh dang it, I'm having a good time. But at the same time, like <laughs> I kind of would be in the same boat as you of just like, okay, I've already sunk this much time into this. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I. I'll just see it through hell or high water. Like, come on now, whatever. But by and large, you're saying you're enjoying it at least. Oh, dude, and that's the thing that's like hasn't made me completely gag on how mushy sometimes it gets. Because like overall, like legit, what like a she will do stuff that makes you think characters are dead, and like obviously they're not. But it's just it's so impressive to me that that this book is for like young young adults because like there's there's some words and maybe this is telling of my intelligence but like there's some words even i struggle with i was like what is i gotta look that up i don't know what that means but like yeah and some of this i think is a testament to uh marissa mayer's talent as a writer but it's the the characters are very engaging and there's a lot of interesting plot points that they're they're going with and I'm 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 just i'm here for i'm here for it man Let's get into some news, shall we? Yeah! Alright, so, full disclosure off the top with this first news topic, we will be delving into spoilers for uh, the Loki series, which now, in case you didn't read the title or see the thumbnail, is getting a season two, and it's going to be really, really difficult to talk about why there will be a season two without dipping into spoilers. So by the time this episode releases, you will have had a full week to watch this. So I'm going to go on the assumption that you are caught up with Loki. 
So, mm-hmm. let's get into this as Loki Season 2 is on the way. Now, I kind of suspected that this was going to happen when I went to go watch the Loki, what I, at the time, envisioned to be the series finale. But when I go to mm-hmm. watch it, it said Loki Season Finale. I'm going, huh, so this isn't a series finale. And I think, at least for me personally, that made me enjoy the finale more. Because if this was the series finale of Loki, yeah, I would be as pissed as some other people are. Because there's some people out there that are genuinely pissed about this finale. To me, uh, it's not bad. I think that was due in no small part to one specific character. I thought mm. Jonathan Majors is carrying that entire episode on his back. Like, don't get me wrong. Loki and Sylvie were just as great as they'd been throughout the entire show. But Jonathan Majors as the... What do they specifically call him? Because they don't say his actual uh, name yet. Um, they've, been, they've been calling him a he, he Who Remains. Yes. He Who Remains. Um, yeah, I... There's some people that are kind of not the biggest fan of his performance. They're just like, he's too goofy and weird. I'm like, you do realize... He's the good guy, right? Like he's he's also been alone in this island in the middle of space and time in the middle um, of nowhere <laughs> yeah. by himself. So he he's gonna be full castaway brain. He's gonna be a little wacky. Um, again, we're talking spoilers here. I do have a slight nitpick with the episode, and these could be alleviated over time depending on how they address it going forward. But in the episode. He's just like, I've never seen up till this point before. There's one of two options that could happen. Either the multiverse is created in this moment, or you kill me and continue this timeline that I've set up. Well, the multiverse starts branching off before he dies. So I'm just like, Mm -hmm. so killing him is not what sets off this multiversal event here. Am I reading too much into that, or did you read the same thing, no, there, Josh? I I did too. I think, and I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. Um, so they already kind of established the fact that two Loki's falling in love was enough to cause a branch. Well, if I'm struggling with it because if they if what the if them falling in love was the thing that caused the branch then it would make sense if they continued that and then took out the person that was controlling the timeline, then there would be, the multiverse would, would be happening. But they fight it before that. They, that trust is now broken. So like, but like, that's such like a typical Loki thing to happen. So I, I'm not entirely sure what to do. I know. I think I said, I was like, yeah, I got you, bro. But like, I, the more I think about it, the more and more I, I, I'm not sure how things, maybe, maybe it splits off because they almost choose both options in the sense that Loki goes back to help the TVA and Sylvie still kills him, kills Kang. Mm, which, uh, they specifically do not call him Kang. I don't. I know. Th- I don't think they're gonna call him Kang until Ant Man: Quantumania because I we agree. know he will be in Ant Man. Now the question is, will he show up in other projects? Will he show up in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness? 
logistically, it would make the most sense. Which, speaking of in a multiverse of madness, man, Doctor Strange is going to have to earn his keep on the Avengers roster about here because yeah, he's, he's in for a bad time between Wanda just royally messing everything up and Loki and Sylvie royally messing everything up and Kang getting thrown in the mix. Doctor Strange is... He's going to be the de facto leader, whether he wants it or not, just because he's going to be the yeah. one that has to put the most work in here. Um, I, I'm okay with this because I always thought it was kind of bizarre that they're just like, yeah, we're doing these Marvel shows, but they're not going to be multiple seasons. And I always lamented that idea. And I saw um, somebody post this idea, and I kind of agree with it of – if we do get another season of this, I kind of would like something still within the MCU, but more episodic. Like, this felt like a six-hour movie that was chopped up, so you had to watch it every mm-hmm. single week. Whereas Mandalorian feels more like a TV series because you've got these episodic adventures leading up to a big event at the end. I kind of would like the same thing for a Marvel show, whether it's Loki Season 2 or Miss Marvel or whatever else, of... Let's let's maybe not treat it like a movie that we're splitting up into chunks and treat it more like a TV show. Overall, yeah. I really enjoyed this first season of Loki, but I am amped because of the finale going, okay, you've really just kicked the door down like the Kool-Aid man for this whole possibility. But mm-hmm. more importantly than anything else, because we're getting a season two of Loki, it gives us another chance for Owen Wilson to say, wow. That's all I care about, and you know I had to get there eventually. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I see. I my theory is he's gonna say it when he finally gets to write his jet ski. Oh, that that's that's that is gonna be Mobius's moment. Avengers Assemble moment. He's just on the yeah. motorcycle, looks dead at the camera. Wow. And he's <laughs> and the better yet, the jet ski is gonna be red with a ninety-five on it. It's a Lightning McQueen yeah. variant. And he doesn't say wow. He says ka-chow. As he does like a sharp turn and he splashes the camera. Roll credits. <laughs> Mobius will return in Mobius. Or just Mobius will return. Oh, oh man. Uh-oh. A thought just popped into oh. my head. Ooh. Hit me with it. There's a character that's been dead that we've kind of in TV land he's alive but in the movie universe he's been dead forever and i'm he'll never come back with colson i would not mind in the slightest if mobius becomes the new colson just popping up in other multi-dimensional stories and he's just the the tired guy that has to clean up everyone else's mess and if anybody could portray a new type of colson-esque character please 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 make it the wow man himself and owen wilson because he was the mvp of the show i don't care what anybody else is saying yeah yeah, between him and um, Majors, like, I just... And Majors only had one episode, and I'm so... Oh, I'm just so oh, excited okay. for also, his betrayal. Because I can't go a single week without talking Superman something, I talked to one of my coworkers at work about this, but if we're getting a black Superman, why can't it be Jonathan Majors? That's, I'm asking, bro. I'm asking. Why not? Because The like, man can act his butt off. He's got that gentle oh. side, but also, mama said, knock you out. Yeah. Oh, dude. Let's, I'm just... I, I love I love Jonathan Majors. He's great. I, I think what I got excited about was 
when they don't, A, they never name him, really name him in the show, and B, if you're not aware of the casting, you don't actually know who that is. But at the same time, I think Marvel knows that we know. Like, oh, yeah. Kevin Feige is blatantly aware of the audience that he is selling things to. Like, that's why mm-hmm. he's so cunning with keeping secrets is because he knows that we know. Uh, cue psych intro music. Uh, but <laughs> getting back to season two, what, what are your hopes and expectations for a season two of Loki compared to season one? Um, I think... I don't expect it until after this first batch of movies. What would be interesting would be maybe to see... So, what, we got ten movies slated, give or take? I have no idea off the top of my head. So, do those movies, and then do season two of Loki after that, and have it be what Loki and Sylvie have been doing throughout all of these events... Because obviously there's going to be a lot going on, and it's not like none of it. And if none of it affects Loki's side of things, then it it kind of makes the show fall flat. So I almost want to say, have season two be the second layer or third or fourth layer, or whatever, of this next uh, multiverse arc. You uh, you uh, you looked excited there, buddy. What you what you what you coming so, up with? I got I was excited about the Loki series on a. What I'm going to go say now is a failed potential that they teased. They teased that the show would basically be the misadventures of Loki. And it was more or less one misadventure uh, that leads to different things. And we get some various Lokis. I would like more versions of Loki. I thought the best parts of the show came from like Kid Loki or Alligator Loki or Classic Loki. I would like to explore the variants more. Case in point, what if in one universe, Loki is Thor? Because if y'all remember way, 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 way back, Tom Hiddleston originally auditioned for Thor, not Loki. So you can find test footage of him with the blonde wig, and he just looks really, really weird as Thor. I would like it if season two, if we get Tom Hiddleston as Thor from a multiverse, a variant thor loki um we got throg the frog loki so why not see i, I want them to the explore that more i want <laughs> like like i i i need that to be a thing because i i just don't want to explain things to my mom anymore i'm like why is there an alligator loki i was like that's because there's a frog thor what <laughs> it's like come on <laughs> yeah uh I, I would like to explore the variants more um, I I don't know. It just feels like there's a lot of possibilities now. And I'll be perfectly honest. When Loki first debuted, it wasn't my most anticipated show just because I didn't really care about the character of Loki. But just like Falcon Winter... Not Falcon Winter Soldier. Um, yeah, Falcon Winter Soldier. Um, I was thinking Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Because yeah. people are just like, that should be the new movie. Going, you can't do that. Uh, just like Falcon Winter Soldier and WandaVision did for their characters, this really fleshed out the character of Loki of... I was kind of getting sick of Loki. I was getting sick of his fake deaths. But now after this, I'm all on board for the character just because this show gives him the character development that I thought was somehow missing in the movies. Like all of a sudden he turned face in the dark world and then is just kind of an anti-hero from then on out as opposed to here. You see this natural progression of his character to the point of at the end of this, 
I would more or less call him a hero at this point, not an, even an anti-hero yeah. anymore. And I appreciate that. So I care about this character now. I appreciate that they kind of almost hit the reset button in terms of he's going to have to earn this TVA's trust again because it is not the same TVA that he knows before. I thought that was a really, really brilliant twist. So uh, I think there's a lot of interesting routes that we can go for season two uh, that I hope we can continue down further. But... This next news topic is really, really interesting because it concerns a project that, we'll be honest, we've said repeatedly we didn't actually believe was legit, and that's DC's upcoming Batgirl movie. Well, it seems like it's legit because they're holding castings, and they have their eye on a couple contenders that they are more or less narrowing it down to four specific options. And I'll tell you what, two of these names kind of get me really, really excited. And I'll be honest, two of these names I know deadly squat about, but I'm not going to pretend <laughs> that I know anything about them. So the, I'm going to have to look at my handy-dandy cheat sheet because we've always got our, our notes here. Um, two of these names I do know. Um, Isabella Merced, who I know best from the Door of the Explorer live-action movie that we always rave about. That she's great in, yeah. Yes. Uh, Zoe Deutsch, who... For you Disney people, she was original in Sweet Life on Deck. She was the girl that broke up right before the finale with Zack, and it's still the stupidest decision. But I know her better for Zombieland 2 as the ditzy blonde, who is the best thing about that movie. Uh, and then we have Leslie Grace, who I believe was the one from In the Heights, or uh, Haley Lou Richardson. One of them was in In the Heights recently and on HBO Max, which got rave reviews, but did terrible at the box office. So, of those four names, I lean a little bit more towards Isabella Merced or Zoe Deutsch just because I know who they are. I've at least mm-hmm. seen them before. So the other two, they could be perfect for this role. We don't know what the script is like. We've heard some rumors about who the villain is, and I'll be honest, it's an interesting route to take. But following the comics, it would make sense for those that want to know i'll give you a slight hint of it's fire based as a villain which is interesting it is tied to her story somehow um but looking at the two isabella merced or zoe deutsch are my two options i primarily just because i have seen them in stuff before (laughs) of those two i get really excited for zoe deutsch because She was hysterical in Zombieland, but also she's tried her hand in a variety of different things. Plus, I'm just a sucker for accuracy, and just look up pictures of her with red hair, because she sported it a few times, and holy crap, does she look like Rebirth Batgirl if ever I've seen it. That being said... It doesn't necessarily have to be a white ginger as Barbara. I prefer if she has red hair, but she doesn't have to be a white ginger to be Barbara. Clearly, Isabella Merced does not follow that mold. But talent always wins out as opposed to how you will physically look on the page of a comic. Jason Momoa does not look like Arthur Curry in the comics. However, he's a perfect Aquaman. So you can race bend it however you want so long as the person is still fit for the role perfectly. Uh, I think either one of those options would be perfect. Um, I, again, don't know the other two. Josh, do you know those other two women at all? And do you know or have a preference about these other two ladies, Isabella Merced or Zoe Deutsch? 
yeah, no, I'm with you. I don't know the other two girls. <laughs> I feel bad, but I just like it's one of the. I'm I'm not good with names, so the fact that I know Isabella this or is Zoe true. at all is impressive. So um, I do think I'm leaning a little heavier on Zoe, um, partly because I get a like a hit girl vibe from her, um, and that's all i dude any chance to see any more incarnations of what hit girl could be i am here for but uh at the same time i think isabella merced would be like super good too um especially if they actually went like uh like half asian or hate or asian with with dick grayson um you bring up the important questions my friend you bring up the important questions I I, i i just think it would be really, really cool, and I'm not. I gotta be careful how I phrase this because I, I don't want it to seem like guys. We should the Bat family should be diverse. No, the Bat family should be, uh, you know, <clears throat> whoever's best for the job. Accurate. Yeah, whoever's best best for the job. But I mean, if you're gonna co- go comic book accurate, I mean, then Dick Grayson should not be a white guy. Um, well, he's Romanian, so. Exactly. Well. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Dude, don't yeah. bark up the yeah. trivia. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um, but yeah, no, I, I either think I think either girl would be great for it. Uh, I'm still not entirely convinced this project exists. Yeah, seriously. But um, <laughs> you know, whatever. The other thing I appreciate is a lot of these actresses. Uh, one, they're diverse in terms of they're not solely looking for. Well, you got to be white with uh, red hair. Like, that mold isn't specifically what they're looking for. They're trying different types of actresses. But I appreciate that they're all mid to early 20s, which is the Mm -hmm. perfect age. There is that temptation to kind of go with the big name. Because I think I've said this before on the podcast, but dang it, if this movie didn't come out a few years ago, and we could have gotten Karen Gillan. Just, Mm. mm. but I'm Mm. glad that they're not doing that, and they're going with, no offense to any of the women that we've talked about today, but I appreciate they're going with what the mainstream would probably perceive as no-name actresses. That way we will only see the character. Um, then, obviously, Josh brought up the great point, because if he didn't, I was going to. Okay, cool. As soon as this gets cast, who is your Dick Grayson that matters the world to me? Because this is probably the closest we're going to get to Nightwing for a little bit, because... We will, mark my words, we will get Robin in the Matt Reeves Batmans, but it probably yes. won't be until the second one at the earliest. However, we can very easily have a Nightwing in a Batgirl sequel or even a passing reference because try as you want DC Comics to try and split them apart, although thank you Tom Taylor for reuniting them and teaming up for the past few issues. Uh, Dick and Babs are so inexplicably tr- like tied together. They're such a iconic comic book pairing. Like you've got Superman and Lois. I was about to say Dick Grayson and Babs, but Dick and Starfire too. But I've just never been a fan of that. Uh, they're one of the most iconic DC couples. So at some point, Dick Grayson has to be in the picture, right? Even if it's just a end credits tease of just she says, "I'm gonna go visit a friend," and you just see the Haley, the flying circus. Um, poster or something like that you will hear my screams of joy no matter where you live my loyal listeners at home also my random thought of the day they are going to recast jim gordon unfortunately it's not gonna be jk simmons or jeffrey wright this will be yet another pocket universe 
I don't know why this name stuck in my head, but how would you feel about John Goodman as her dad, as Commissioner Gordon? Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Just I, like there's not not even been a fight. Yeah, like absolutely. I like I'm just imagining the Killing Joke, and he's like he's the one strapped to the swan chair, and it's. I don't want uh, to picture that. I don't like. Well, like I'm just imagining like that level of acting going. Not to like disrespect anybody that's uh, you know could be in the running, blah blah blah. But like just John Goodman's so good, man. He's a good man. <laughs> Are you proud of yourself for that one? I uh, didn't do that on purpose. Otherwise, I'd be super proud. If, if that's he, new comedy. If he's not. Commissioner Gordon, he should be Harvey Bullock, Josh's favorite comic book character of all time. <laughs> Harvey Bullock and Gordon. Just John Goodman at some point. But yes, we will be also getting a new Gordon, but I think Batgirl will be cast first. I think at the latest, this character will be cast by August, and we will have an official look at her in the suit at DC Fandom this year. I think. Yeah, I agree. I think we're going to get a lot of stuff fandom this year, and it makes me super, super excited. Now, this one, chalk this one up to just like the Batgirl of, well, I'll believe this one when I see it, because um, I don't want to be the boy who cried Star Trek here, but this this project has really struggled over the past few years, but maybe there'll be renewed interest now in a new Star Trek movie as WandaVision director Matt Shankman has been attached to direct a new installment of Star Trek. Now, Ooh. details are kind of scarce right now, but the belief is that he will, with him at the helm, they are hoping to bring back uh, Chris Pine, uh, Zoe Saldana, and everyone else. And there was rumors for a while that they want to bring back Chris Hemsworth and kind of bridge that gap. <sighs> This is, again, I will believe it when I see it. I would like to believe this will happen. However, the next Star Trek, whatever it is, Star Trek Four, has been so start-stop, life-death, over and over and again, rinse and repeat, mm-hmm. that until cameras are rolling, or even until, then, until we get our first trailer, I just have a hard time believing it's real. Just yep. because... Josh and I have been very vocal about how much we love all three of the Star Trek movies. J.J.'s 2 and Justin Lin's Star Trek Beyond. We love all three of them. But we have to face the facts. All three of those were incredibly expensive movies. And while they made money, they lost money with each passing movie. Even though they did decent. They were just so expensive to make. And here's the problem. From everything we heard, the next Star Trek was supposed to be lower in scale and lower in budget. That way, they wouldn't have to make so much money to recruit its losses. If you want Zoe Saldana, who is a part of the highest grossing movie of all time, no matter what movie it is, if it's Avengers or Avengers uh, or Avatar, she's a part of either one, she's mm-hmm. going to be expensive. Chris Pine is going to be expensive because ever since he did Star Trek, he did some other no-name project called Wonder Woman. So he's a very hot commodity. Oh, really? Star Trek, you're trying to save money. Let's hire Chris Hemsworth back. Yeah, he's going to be a cheap option to bring back. The only one that might be a relatively cheaper option than the rest would be Zachary Quinto as Spock. But even then, I don't see him being a cheap option either. 
I want a new Star Trek. I love all three of these new ones. I love the cast. I love Carl Urban. That's been known numerous times throughout the podcast. I refuse to believe this project will move anywhere until it actually starts because it's just been so start-stop. Josh, with Matt Shankman now attached to it, are you more excited, less excited? Do you still have your doubts like me, like I do? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I'll believe it when I see a trailer. And even then, I probably won't believe it. I just, as much as I would love for another Star Trek movie to happen, it's, like you said, it's been so, so stop and go. There's been no real movement. A whole bunch of people saying things, but nothing really happening. Um, you know, I think there was... Hasn't there already been like one or two directors attached to directing? Yeah, to, I was to just this? about to bring this up to you. Of uh, didn't we just a few months ago talk about Noah Hawley coming on mm-hmm. for the Star Trek? Is he mm-hmm. no longer attached to this? Like, correct. Is this like an uncharted situation where it's just directors and actors continually dropping out, or is this like a going back to the drawing board every single time? Or is this a, we have to continue this line? Is it a, like Quentin Tarantino was talking about, of doing a completely separate universe? What are, what are we doing here? Like, uh, Paramount is milking Star Trek for everything it's worth on Paramount+, Plus, basically, with Picard, Discovery, everything else. The movies are nowhere to be seen right now. And I think it's because they have not been able to make financially the money that they were hoping with the original, not original, but the three newer Star Treks. You've got to do something, but you might have to just start over, not like yeah. full reboot, because with Star Trek, at least you don't have to reboot. You can just set it in a different time period, like Star Trek The Next Generation or uh, Star Trek Enterprise. God, I would love to see a revival of Enterprise. Come at oh, me, Trekkies. I, so... I liked what, what... Enterprise a lot. That's what Isn't I... Isn't that... That's the one with Scott that's... Bakula. That's... Oh, uh, Yeah. I was going to say, it was like Picard's a thing right now. What are you talking about? No, but Enterprise was legit. <laughs> Too legit to quit. No, I'm surprised they haven't just been like, okay, we just want all the major stars to come back. Tom Hardy, yeah. you're coming back from Star Trek Nemesis. Come back, please. Bro, say less. Say less. More Tom Hardy. Let's bro, bring it on, big guy. Let's go. This uh, this he, is clearly spoken. Like he's, not so, he's not busy with anything. So. This is clearly spoken like someone has clearly not seen Tom Hardy in Star Trek Nemesis. <laughs> no offense to Tom Hardy, but everybody's got to start somewhere, I guess. <laughs> well, this guy is not starting anything, as he's been in the business for a very, very long time. And honestly, he gets me even more excited for a movie that I've my anticipation has been growing and growing and growing in Indiana Jones 5. And I'm getting even more excited because now one of Josh and I's favorites, I feel like we say that about every actor, but one of our yep. favorites, Antonio Banderas, has joined the cast for Indiana Jones 5. And I'm just going, hmm, are, are you just on a treasure hunt kick there, Antonio Banderas? Unless you want us to forget the year also in the upcoming Uncharted movie. However, I'll, I'll say that I think their roles are different. I'm still very much on the record saying I think Antonio Banderas will be the bad guy in the new uncharted i think he's going to be a good guy here i think he's going to be an ally to harrison ford and not just because getting very similar in age um i get excited about this just because holy talent this movie is ridiculously stacked like 
Antonio Banderas, Mads Mickelson, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Harrison Ford. Um, oh, to- is it Toby Kebbell? Is the sure. shorter actor from the first Avenger? Um, uh, yes. Yeah, he's in it. This sure. cast looks ridiculous. I yeah, I don't think he's playing a bad guy this time. I I just like Antonio Banderas. I like to see this type of stuff. What kind of role do you think he'll be? Good guy, bad guy? Are you excited for this, Josh? Uh, I'm with you on the good guy. I'm so, I'm always down for Tony for for some Antonio Banderas. Um, I think the character that I am wanting here is a cross between Spy Kids and Expendables. <laughs> He's like a music. Okay, just because I have a librarian graphic with the picture, I wasn't actually anticipating you saying he'd be a librarian. <laughs> yeah, why not? I mean, come on, man. I mean, he's like super cool, like, you know, like indie, but like Hispanic. Um, <laughs> and, but like also like super suave and like has a much more bombastic sense of humor because I feel like that would play off of indie's sense of humor really well. Um I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I love I love Benderas, man. I think he's great. I just I need him in more things. Yes. Um. Yeah, I think I'll be a good guy. I would not be surprised if because Indiana Jones loves to play this trope of usually they've got um good guy that's actually a bad guy. Whether that's Ilsa in Last Crusade or Mac in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I wouldn't be surprised if we get a reverse of people are expecting him to be the bad guy, but he's actually a double agent and he's a good guy working with Harrison Ford. Or there are rumors of some flashback scenes in this movie, which kind of makes sense because you will be at limited action wise with a, what is it? 77, 78 year old Harrison Ford. Maybe he's in some of the flashback scenes uh, I also, I don't know why, but I'm getting connections to, was it Last Crusade? The guy in the boat chase that, like, has the tattoo and a scar that reminded me a lot of the mummy people of, like, we're a part of an ancient society uh, here to protect or whatever, whatever. Maybe he's one of those, like, your librarian character of, he's here keeping an eye on something else. Um, yeah. I, I could see him being one of those characters that there's more to him than meets the eye. He's a transformer, if you will. Just transformer <laughs> Benderis. Look, um, honestly, if, if if my character, the librarian, turns out to be a thing, and, it, and they do the whole, like, he's he's there to hang out with Indy, but he's, like, also, you know, here to keep his eye on something else. Um, let's do a spinoff. Let's do a spinoff treasure hunt with Antonio Banderas. Why not? I'm here for it. I'm going to make Josh hate me. Because Do, I'm going to bust dare. out a really bad pun. I oh, bet no. you the only reason he signed up for this movie is because he heard it was an indie movie. And those So anyway, Netflix is, uh, <laughs> Netflix, is pan- uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Netflix is planning to add video games starting in 2022. Yeah, so stuttering Josh over there brings it up of <laughs> some very. I'm just trying to get away from your terrible joke, man. That was rough. That was I'll really be rough. honest. Some very concerning news coming out of yeah out of Netflix's corner that, like Josh said, 
starting in 2022, Netflix is going to offer gaming, but there's a whole heck of a lot of asterisks that we have to attach to this that I feel like Netflix is wanting everyone to overlook here. So guys, buckle up because um, just like PBS, you're going to have to read between the lions and see why this is so alarming. Um, first of all, Netflix just comes out like Vince McMahon and just goes, we're the good guys. We're going to include, starting next year, we're going to include gaming for no additional price. For no additional add-on price, I'm going, but you didn't say anything about not having a price hike. So, mm-hmm. are you going to increase your prices to match this? But also, everyone's going, yeah, gaming on Netflix, cool. And Netflix came out today on the day that we're recording this, on Tuesday, and they're just like, yeah, our primary focus out of the gate will be mobile gaming. Insert facepalm gift now. Oh my god. As if that's not bad enough. The man overseeing this is a former executive from, say it with me, EA. Yay. Now for all of you non-gamers out there, EA is often cited as the worst video game company in America due to some very um, sketchy business practices and more or less legalized gambling, so to speak, with several of their games most notably star wars battlefront 2 basically mm-hmm. going to court for how sketchy of a business plan that game initially was uh it ended up being one of my favorite star wars games over time after they drastically overhauled the entire game but um oh boy there's so many warning flags here not to mention when they're just like yeah it'll be added on for no additional cost my brain immediately went um no additional cost for which plan because Netflix mm-hmm. has been very vocal about we have three different payment plans. You can have the top of the line, like 20 bucks a month, all 4K content, this, that, or the other thing. You've got your medium, which is what I have. There's the HD plan, whatever else, and there's one below that. Are you going to have video games for all of these tiers or just the top one? You're not telling us. Mobile gaming. I know people watch Netflix on their phone. But to me, at least, I don't know why, but when I hear Netflix, I think of that as a TV medium. Like, YouTube, that could be either TV, but mainly mobile devices. Netflix, that's a TV thing. Who's playing mobile games on their TV? Yes, let's play Jetpack Joyride on our TV. That's actually not a bad idea. Uh, but, (laughs) But, like, yes, let's play Temple Run on our big 55-inch TV. Like, come on. Really? I mean, this is the best you got. However, there is an there is an alternative that I've considered here, and some other people have considered. But we'll get back to that after we hear Josh's thoughts on this, because I uh, yeah, I'm I'm down. Really? I, mean, I, I kind of I I don't know. I'm I it, it depends on, and there's a big asterisk here for me if they're creating their own video games for this or if they're licensing others. Yeah, licensing immediately crosses my mind. I'm going, that's a logistic nightmare. How are you going to do this? Yeah, because here's the thing. It's one thing to allow us to play, I don't know, Legends of Runeterra on on the TV or like on my game through Netflix. Oh, that's so cool. Um, But it's another... For you to only make your own content, 
because movies are not the same. Like you guys know this, right? Games are not the same. They're harder than movies and TV shows. Like you know this, right? And they barely make movies. I just so this 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 feels like this could go wrong in so many ways, especially with what the what their their purchasing practices are right now. Three words. There's there's some leaps in logic here, but um, believe it. Actually, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this because we haven't done this in a while. Okay. Oh oh oh! Hey! It returns. It returns because three words: Xbox Game Pass. For months and months, PlayStation players have complained of okay xbox game pass gets all these free games each month included and they just get to play that whenever there are some rumors circulating that netflix wants to team up with playstation because playstation has been on the back foot for quite a long time josh and i both have playstation plus we both have playstations to some extent and you need that to play online you get what three games a month if you're lucky four if you got ps5 playstation plus um yeah whereas playstation now is a completely separate service that you can play like playstation 3 games or whatever else but that's already included xbox game pass playstation has been on the back foot for so long and the head of sony has said oh yeah we've got something we'll announce at some point we're working on something that will rival and be better than xbox game pass what if it's this netflix thing what if netflix is going we need a partner here because tell me, Netflix hasn't been partnering with people lately. They haven't mm-hmm. bought anybody, but they've been partnering with people. Like Sony for that first theatrical window when movies come out of theaters. They'll go to Netflix first. I wouldn't be surprised if Netflix in the next month or so strikes up a deal with Sony saying Sony exclusives can now be played on Netflix. Tell me things like God of War, Uncharted. If you got PlayStation, PS5, like... Um, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Destruction All Stars, mm-hmm. Play- Spider Man is available on Netflix. I think that's an interesting route to go. Then and then, I don't know how you'd split the profits there, but that would immediately be an interesting rival for Xbox Game Pass. Now, this is, of course is where we bring in the tinfoil hat theory, so it might be completely out of left field. But PlayStation has said for a little bit that they are aware of the Game Pass complaints that people are just like, we want to be able to play all these old games and not have to pay so much extra each month mm-hmm. and have all these confusing things. It's like HBO with HBO Now, HBO Max, HBO Go. You've got to cut all those out and streamline things. And that's what PlayStation needs to do. If they funnel everything to Netflix, PlayStation already has this big back catalog that could fall right in the lap of Netflix. Yeah, I mean... I really only see that as them transferring PS Now to to Netflix, which is not – that sounds super negative, but, like, it's – the catalog of PS Now is huge. So I, I don't see do that you, as – Just for first-hand experience, do you have PlayStation Now? I did at one point. Um, and it's cool, don't get me wrong, but um, I can't tell you... Uh, I used it more for, like, hey, this game, this new game's coming out of, in this series. Uh, I, I have PlayStation now, so I'll just go 
replay all of the all of the one or not replay or play the ones I haven't played before. It's I mean it's it's a cool feature. Um, I just feel like it has a very very specific like answer to a very specific need. Yeah, it's very specific. Of do you want to play a PlayStation Three game? Then get PlayStation Now. If you don't, then don't. Because I, th- I think it's very confusing. I th- I've said for a while, PlayStation Now just needs to merge with PlayStation Plus. If you're playing online with all these, who's, what money do you lose revenue-wise for like PlayStation 3 games or whatever else? And just like Netflix, drop new titles every month that just get added to the package. Like, just seems obvious. And again, Netflix already has this working relationship with Sony. I just said it. So they're like, well, if the movie thing works well for us, why not pair with Sony again for video games? It to me, it just the more I think about it, the more this makes sense. But yeah, yeah. For the time being, they're probably going with mobile, which is a dumb idea, and it's just a greedy idea. Last, before we move on to our discussion, we probably should open with this. Does this scream of desperation to anybody else or just me? This just feels desperate on netflix's part uh, see you and i we've been talking about netflix for mm, what is what what month were we in july we've been talking about netflix for like seven months um because in these seven months they've made some big money moves that i don't think they have actual money to back up mm. um i i don't know if desperation is the word but digging a hole seems to be the be the phrase I I worry, and you know what? Maybe I'll eat my words. I'm going to rethink this real quick because the big thing that blocked that killed Blockbuster was its unwillingness to try new things and change and keep with the times. And to Netflix's credit, they have done that to the best of their ability. And so maybe a lot of these deals, the past seven months, while they do wreak a little bit of desperation. Maybe it is them trying to stay with the times, trying not to be left behind in the streaming wars, and trying to still stay relevant after, jeez, all these years. And you brought up a good thing with Blockbuster of, y'all remember in that Blockbuster documentary, Blockbuster had a chance to buy Netflix. So maybe it's just like, if you can't beat them, join them. If Netflix feels like they might be losing potential revenue or viewers to net, uh, video games join video games and sony's been in the business for a long time i'm i'm still going to be on this for a little bit of i think a netflix sony video game partnership is on the horizon sooner rather than later but i'd be curious to see what you guys at home think i think this is a very interesting development for the future of streaming wars if this goes ahead successfully as they say Moneyball, the first guy through the wall is always bloody it's just a matter of were those injuries worth it or not in the long term mm, truth well, before we get into our main discussion, as usual, this episode is sponsored by TeePublic because the Uncharted Media merch is there. Whether you need mugs, t-shirts, hats, uh, hoodies, stickers, whatever your heart desires with the Uncharted Media logo on it, you can get it there. Go support your love of the show by getting your Uncharted Media merch at TeePublic and in the link in the description. And as always, if you guys like the merch, we'll put some new stuff out there at some point, maybe the the tinfoil hat, whatever else uh, you guys have for ideas. Now, I like a good origin story just as much as the next guy, and they can be a bit mm, complicated, then a little bit cliche at times. But if done correctly, 
they can be a lot of fun and introduce a whole new audience to characters that they previously had never even been exposed to. Case in point, I think for the most part, early days of Marvel really, really nailed it, especially considering the fact that a lot of these characters that we would be getting introduced to hadn't been seen yet, like Iron Man, like Captain America, but we'll, we'll dive into those at a later date. Most of these on my list are going to be superheroes just because when we think of origin stories right down to they even make fun of it in Big Hero 6. You feel it guys? This is our origin story. Like that's so synonymous with superhero stories, but not necessarily. Case in point, let's start with one that's not a superhero. Uh, let's get Casino Royale out of the way. Uh, yeah. When that came out. Like, another movie that we'll talk about later that I will always pinpoint as the best example of an origin story ever. Uh, James Bond desperately needed franchise CPR when Casino Royale came out. Was the last one Die Another Day? Um, Die Another Day, sure. or The World Is Not Enough. Something with Pierce Brosnan. And it was not very well received. I think that was the same one where he's parasailing in Antarctica. It was weird. Um... Out comes Casino Royale, and I still to this day remember that opening black and white trailer. You remember that one, Josh, when he's in the bathroom yeah. and yeah. It's like some voiceover, he's just like, "You're not a double O yet. You don't have your first two kills. That's what the double O stands for." He's, I'm just a single O. Oh, and he shoots that other guy, and he gets his double O, and you're just like, "Oh, this is different. This feels like a Jason Bourne movie." It was a back-to-basics approach, but also reintroduces the concept of James Bond to a modern audience. And honestly, I was about to say kicked off of one of the best modern eras of Bond, but I'll be honest, a hit-or-miss era of Bond. I like Daniel Craig as Bond, but Casino Royale, great. Quantum of Solace, not so great. Skyfall, all the way up. I love Skyfall. An inspector happened. So jury's still out on if he can have a winning record or a losing record when <laughs> No Time to Die, if ever that comes out. Um, but yeah, I will always go to Casino Royale as a good example of an origin story that's not necessarily superhero-based. Yeah. No, and because it just really, like you said, it's set up for the modern era of Bond and what Bond is going to look like in our, like what, the uh, Casino Royale came out in 2006? Correct, 2006. I think. So we're talking like... Back when Martin post... Campbell was a good director. Ooh, Before uh, Green Lantern. We're talking like post-Mission uh, Impossible era. Uh, like Mission Impossible had already come out with a few movies at well, that point. Yes. I think we got in the well, first two maybe i'm trying to think of when yeah. the third one came so, out i mean so the the idea of a spy movie had changed and so the, the bond movies were going to have to change with that and i think daniel craig's era to me in comparison and maybe this is because i'm not too fond of the older bond movies but to me he does have a winning record so while they're not the greatest of movies i don't mind when quantum of solace is on if this if Spectre's on, I'll finish it. It's fine. I don't love it, but they're good. And I so to me, I think while the the character of Bond still has a lot of moral issues, especially in today's day and age, um, I think Casino Royale really kicked was like the perfect origin for Daniel Craig's and like the perfect way to start off Daniel Craig. Indeed. 
Uh, what's one that you got on your list, Josh? Um, I am... Because you and I talked a little bit before about uh, non-comic book origin movies, right? I mean, we're going to have and plenty what... of comic book ones, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm trying to get get my non out of the way. Uh, not that, that I don't think there is good. There's just also a little bit more complicated to define. Mm-hmm. So that's why, to me, Rise of the Planet of the Apes... Dang it! <laughs> ...is perfect. And yeah. we're going to talk about a non-comic book origin movie uh, being that it sets up the universe for technically the whole series but also the character of caesar and gives us this idea of what ride we're about to be on these next three movies and golly is it a ride oh dude still just like send chills down my spine whenever i just think of get your hands off me you damn dirty ape no you're just oh, like, yes. oh, god. oh god oh i need new pants oh god uh, <laughs> but you're right it sets oh. everything up and i remember when this came out everyone's just going really why are you making this i appreciate it as an origin story it doesn't fall into the trap that so many other origin stories fall into of it does not explain everything it does not just end with okay here's this guy that might be charlton heston we just are gonna tie and lead directly into the original Planet of the Apes. Like, no, there's still this this gap here. There's still this storytelling possibility. I like when origins tell enough, but they don't give away yeah. everything. Like, mm. yes, Rise exactly. tells its narrative, but then it has room for more later. Like, there's still plenty of events to go, okay... Even when we get done with the trilogy after War for the Planet of the Apes, there's still it. It's not like it directly leads into the original. Still, there's still this gap, which I appreciate of it. It just focused on telling a good story, and along the way, they'll be like, "Okay, this will be how we get to the story that you already know." Yeah, basically, and it's. I think to to me. The the fact that by the time the third one wraps up, I'm like, well, I kind of – I don't want to watch the originals now, but I kind of feel like I have to because they're a continuation of this story, and I want the continuation of this story. Well, we might be getting uh, another one, but um... – yeah, yeah, anyway. Uh, what else you got there, bud? I'll, I'll do a superhero one, but I'm going to make Josh very, very happy. Because it's one that we have not talked about in a very, very long time. And that kind of makes me sad because it's one of Josh and I's favorites. And it's, I would say at this point in time, it is criminally underrated. And I would consider it an origin movie, The Crow. I I almost put this on my list. I was so close. (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, oh, lucky. Yeah, let's talk about The Crow, bro. The Crow is absolutely an origin story because the whole movie is about him becoming the crow and also seeking revenge on the people that destroyed his life and yeah the crow is so so good i i do still get frustrated when people are just like deadpool was the first successful r-rated comic book movie i'm going blade but more specifically the crow the crow the crow is i feel like the tragedy of the crow overshadows the rest of the movie unfortunately Unfortunately. like you can just feel even when you're watching it years later you feel the weight of brandon lee's presence in this movie and just 
the atmosphere is very heavy. That's why, as much as I love The Crow, I can't watch it a ton, just because it's, it is a very heavy movie, just in terms of subject matter, but also knowing what you know about the movie. But as an, getting back to the origin of it, it's absolutely an origin story. It's what makes Eric Draven, Eric Draven, what makes him the, well, what oh. makes him go from Eric Draven, the normal dude, to the crow one of the most underrated and amazing comic book movies of all time with i'll just say it probably the best atmosphere of any comic book movie i love the environment that is set up in the crow uh, josh is just hat rocking back and forth like a happy madman so just, i'm just gonna shut dude, up and let him I, talk uh, we don't talk about the crow enough because i mean i agree that the tragedy of the crow does oh kind of overshadow for those who don't know brandon lee who plays eric draven uh was accidentally shot and killed during the filming um because somebody forgot to put blanks in a gun um and what that was the story i heard no i thought it was one of the guns jammed or something like that and caused a misfire it was i thought it was something happened with a gun i thought it was like it was a still a blank or something like that, but like it got jammed or something that caused it to basically yeah, some, act as a real bullet. Yes. Something, something co- like something like that. There's conflicting stories, it, obviously. Yes. It happened in, uh, the only thing that, that is known, it, it happens in that, um, if I remember right, in the, on the scene where he's on the table. No, it's not that towards one. Towards the end. It's That's not what that I one. heard. No, it's the scene where he's with fun boy and he has the gun up against his hand. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a great scene, by the way. Oh, oh yeah. But yeah. Um, so I, the only, and I think the other thing about the crow is, um, I think there's like four sequels, and none of them have Eric Draven for obvious reasons. And they're, I don't know if you've ever watched it, watched them, but they are, they give B B movie horror a bad name. They're not good. However. I don't know about you, Josh, but I've actually watched a lot of videos about um, The Crow 2, City of Angels, and the production mm. issues that yes. it had of what it yes. was originally supposed to be sounds amazing and sounds like a perfect Crow story that is not an Eric Draven story. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, Harvey Weinstein got involved and Harvey Weinstein did up. Yep. <sighs> He's just a horrible yep. human being. We will refuse anyway. to talk about that any further but i the crow franchise yeah at some point we might have to talk about like most cursed movie projects maybe for like halloween or something this is top of the list i genuinely yes. think crow the crow reboot is genuinely cursed jason momoa being attached luke evans being attached jason jason momoa actually being in costume with makeup on there are pictures of him in crow costume and it still didn't go anywhere. But as a comic book movie, it is an unconventional origin story. But make no mistake, it is still an origin story of how does this man get to be what criminals fear the most? Like, come mm. on now. Batman is for pansies. The crow is what you see in your nightmares, basically. Yeah. Like, I'm more like, scared of the crow seriously. than Batman. Oh, like, uh, just even like the first time when he goes when he goes all crow on somebody with the guy that can throw knives. I was just like, I, this, this is, why can't Batman be that? That's super cool. Um, 
But like, and I'll, I, I don't, I, I know you say you don't, you can't watch it all that often, but um, I watch it at least once a year, at least bare minimum. I mean, that's not bad, but like, because I love it, it's I so just good, love it so much. But it is a heavy watch. So good. It yes, it is. It's very heavy. Like to the, I mean, you have a scene where he literally grabs a a, a girl the, that the mom's arm, and all the heroin comes straight out of her arm. It's like, oh. That's tough. Um, let's talk about something that's also R-rated, but uh, a little bit more lighthearted. All right, Deadpool, uh, the first R-rated uh, successful R-rated comic book movie. Comic book movie. Um, I, gosh dang, I, it does make me mad when, it's, when people are like, when people say that, and it's like, oh, okay, cool. So screw Blade, screw the Crow. We or, don't need them. Got or it. that one is like Black Panther was the first successful black superhero movie. I'm going. Blade. Blade 2. <laughs> Blade Trinity is good. <laughs> there is no Blade Trinity. There is only Zool. <laughs> but no, Deadpool did something that I think... Uh, part of why Deadpool is so good to me is the story of leading up to how, just production-wise of how it, got, how it got made, how it got quote-unquote leaked... How it like all of these things, I think, really adds to the aura of of Deadpool, the first one specifically. And to to be quite honest, I mean, there's times where I think maybe it's a little too foul mouthed. Maybe oh, yeah. it goes a little, that little goes a little too far. But at the same time, I don't know if I would change that either. So it's like it's this weird oddity where. There's joke like it makes jokes that are now culturally prevalent in other movies because it's international like the Women's fact Day. that the, or the fact that making fun of superhero landings is a thing in, in Black Widow. Yeah. I don't think that that wouldn't exist without Deadpool making fun of the superhero landings. I, I don't know Fight about me. that, but. No, fight me, bro. It looks weird, but nobody wants to talk about it. Well, that <laughs> specifically, the superhero landing joke in Black Widow, that came from Florence Pugh, actually. Just going, why do you land so weird in movies? And the scriptwriter's like, we'll just throw that in there. Uh, I didn't put Deadpool just because I like it. I don't love it. I think it does get a little excessive at times. To me, this is going to probably piss off some people, but I don't care. Deadpool, to me, is like the family guy of comic book movies. Like yeah. sometimes, it, sometimes it really, really hits, and other times you're the joke goes on for too long, and you're just like, eh. I like Deadpool just fine. I kind of like the second one more, actually. I think it was more focused, really? and I just like the story better for the second one. Um, but again, just like the first one, I think the second one also kind of goes a little over the top when it doesn't always need to. Uh, yeah. but Deadpool can be a little excessive. I understand that that's the character, but that isn't always my style. Uh, I, I guess you could say I'm kind of traditional in my stuff. Case in point, my next one, the most traditional, the template, basically. This created the template that most origin movies go off of still to this day. The original Superman, the movie, sorry, Christopher Reeve, yeah. like, you know, you, we had to. 
we had to put on here somewhere I, that there's yeah, of course I, I, yeah that's I, <laughs> I didn't even bother putting any superman superman movies well also on my on my list because of you because, besides yeah, man you besides this movie i don't think there is a good superman origin story and i know some of you are going to come out with knives out coming what about man of steel yeah. going man of steel doesn't feel like a superman origin story so much as it feels like the story before the story it feels like a superman zero year which i don't mind i i like half of man of steel i think it's not paced particularly well in the second half um but that felt like a zero here i think still the definitive origin story is the original superman movie because we spend so much time in smallville we get that fantastic scene when clark comes home um and he basically beats the bus that he beats these bullies home just by running and paw pulls him aside. He's just like, you're not here to do that. And he, Clark's basically just like, Oh, come on, dad. Why can't I join the football team? I can throw the ball better than anybody else. You know that I can make a whole bunch of money for us someday. And he's just like, I don't know why you were sent here, but I know one thing you were not here to throw touchdowns. Even if it takes your whole life, you got to find out what that reason is. And then that dude, dies like (laughs) good luck clark guilt yourself into it but the origin a good origin story boils down the essence of why the character does what he does and superman is the archetype in terms of this is where he came from this is why he does what he does this is how he goes about that and still to this day almost every movie will follow that archetype Including what I would say is the modern equivalent of the original Christopher Reeve Superman. My next one, Captain America the First Avenger. Which, I nah, did, yeah. we didn't intentionally do this, but this actually just celebrated its 10 year anniversary a few days ago. Um, oh, cool. <laughs> I'm going, Happy accident, Bob Ross style. Um, uh, also, I will still say that the first Captain America, Captain America the First Avenger, no origin story has a scene that so single-handedly boils down the core essence of its characters, more so than when they're all doing their jumping jacks and Tommy Lee Jones throws the fake grenade and, like, grenade! Everyone spreads out and Steve jumps on the grenade. I think that absolutely personifies the character of Steve Rogers and no origin story has gotten close to, in just such a short amount of time, this is who this man is. This is why you care. It's not just say telling the audience, oh, this is a man with a good heart. That's what makes him special. No, we're showing you this is a man who will literally put his life on the line for people that are horrible to him just because it's the mm. right thing to do. Just all of Captain America, the more I watch it, it's aged really, really well, Um, which shouldn't be a surprise just because that director... Um, oh, what is his, what am I blanking on his name? Joe Johnston. Um, he's done that type of story before. Honorable mention to the Rocketeer, which feels a lot like his tryout for Captain America. There's just this earnestness to the first Captain America of, it still bothers me that we've got good Captain America movies, but we can't get a good Superman movie because they're not that dissimilar in terms of how they should be approached in terms of morals and character. But I think that that was one of the hardest origins to sell to people of this basically walking American flag with wings on the side of his head. How do you make that interesting? And they do. They 
to get you to care about this character while also respecting the source material. Here, he's going to punch Hitler in the face. You like that, but also have this grounded approach to him. I, In terms of adapting the source material to a modern audience that might immediately write off the character of Captain America, I don't think they could have done it any better. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah, because it, it's... Uh, Captain America First Avenger is up there with one of my favorites of the like when it's one Marvel of those favorites too. What when Marvel was in those early days of trying to kind of figure out where everything was going, or at least we thought they were trying to figure out where everything was going. Because apparently they had a plan. Um, but I guess I don't know. But it's it, there's a lot of really really good stuff. Like the fact of the matter is. Without how good First Avenger boils down Cap's personality and who he is as a hero, I don't think him ready to face down Thanos' army one-on-one would matter as much as it, as it did. Because uh, you, leading everything else uh, leading up to that moment is a, just a layer on the cake of of Steve constantly always jumping, always ready to jump on that grenade for anyone. It's just simply because that's who he is. Um, the only thing I will disagree with you about is I, the pacing on the back end of Man of Steel. I think that, I, oh, it's pretty snappy. Um, I only say <laughs> I have issues with the pacing is because the first half is almost all exposition and talking and the second half is almost all action. And I think it's like the Don't tale of two halves. Joke. Don't ignore, ignore my joke. I don't think I even heard your joke. What did you say? Oh, I, I said I said it's pretty snappy. <laughs> it's not anyway, your worst. So... I can't get mad. It's not your worst. <laughs> it's not even the worst pun that we've had today. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to turn any heads. Um, so let's. <laughs> but it will divide a fandom still to this day. Oh yes, it will still to this day, and I still love that moment. Um, because Snyder but... fans are cultists. You can't change my mind. I, okay, but like at the same time, no. Okay, you know what? No, we're not going to get into. <laughs> we're not going to get into it. Um, can we talk about Thor now? Is that is that Ooh. a thing we can do? Okay. I I I don't love... have Thor, even though I think that's actually in my mind the first Thor. Still to this day, is the most criminally underrated Marvel movie. And I know some people think it's a little too cheesy, but you try and adapt Thor as an origin story, and I don't I don't consider it an origin story, but I don't mind if you do. But like at the same time, how is that different from how is that Thor different? from the Thor we end up getting in Ragnarok. You know what I mean? Like, that's like, he's the he's the party guy. He's here, but he'll also fight to the death at the same time. He, I, just, like, if this is the guy, this is the movie that gave us another, and Thor, like, ah, oh, dude, it's just, there's so much about Thor that this is why he's worthy. Now, I don't think it does as good of a job as, as Captain America First Avenger, at being like, why is he worthy over anybody else? But at the same time, it made me want to see the character more. It made me be like, okay, cool. What other adventures can this guy get into, and can I follow with? Like, what other you know modern things can he interact with and be like, oh, I don't get it. <laughs> um, but like, it's what is this Wi-Fi? I, what, what is this Wi-Fi? 
<laughs> but see, like we end up getting that still though when when he's playing Fortnite <laughs> with new master sixty nine. Yeah, it's so good. You watch, well, like, just... you watch. Still to this day, some day we will find out new master sixty nine that was beating up Korg was actually somebody. They'll be like, it was actually Peter Parker the whole time, like Iron Man two. Uh, it's Johnny Ant-Man. Storm. Oh, I like it. I like it. I like the thought better of of it being Ant Man in in his quarantine, like when he's. Uh, it in couldn't his have probation. been Ant Man. He was in the quantum realm. So anyway, we're not going to talk about. The uh, <laughs> Thor is great. <laughs> How many more you got, Josh? Because I got four more. I got, I got three. Cool. Um, let's go with. X-Men First Class. Okay, I almost put this here. Um, I I will put this as an origin just because it's obviously the origin of Charles Xavier and Eric as Magneto because for almost all this movie, it's just Charles and Eric. It's not Professor X or Magneto. They're not enemies yet. One of them is walking throughout this entire movie and has hair. That's always bothered me that almost the entire time James McAvoy was Professor X, he had hair, but it's a weird nitpick, I know. First Class, again, like another movie that we'll, I'll try and save for last, was the CPR that X-Men so desperately needed after mm-hmm. The Last Stand and then a origin movie that is not on our list, X-Men Origins <laughs> Wolverine, which I actually still have a soft spot for. I still have oh, totally. quite a bit of fun with Origins Wolverine, if it's not great. Uh, but First Class was so, so needed for the X-Men franchise at that point. But it takes us to a side of both Professor X and Magneto that we hadn't gotten yet. An actual friendship. The relationship that Professor X and Magneto have in first class is what Anakin and Obi-Wan should have had in the prequels of Mm. this. We'll be forever brothers, but I no longer see eye to eye with you. And still, how great is it at the end of first class when... Again, Fox has this thing where they tease costumes that we know they'll never wear. At the end of First Class, Eric is finally wearing the the purple outfit, puts the helmet on, call me Magneto. And then he never wears that outfit ever again. Just like Wolverine yep. getting the classic costume at the end of The Wolverine, never to be seen again uh, until the MCU's multiverse. I'm calling it now. Um, Played but- by Tom Hardy? No, it'll be Hugh Jackman. It'll be Hugh, <laughs> no, Hugh Jackman will join it, the MCU as Wolverine in costume. It'll just be multiverse. I'm saying it'll happen. It'll happen. But seeing Professor X and Magneto, one, before they're enemies, but two, before they become the great men that we know them to be, seeing Professor X be a party boy was just great. And also the great one of the greatest cameos of all time with Hugh Jackman. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it's a proper origin story of it tells you what you expect to know, but not in the ways you expect to get them. Like, you know Professor X and Magneto are eventually going to be enemies, but drawing it out makes it hurt that much more when they do eventually mm-hmm. split because you've gotten all this time of them together now to the point of, I actually kind of appreciated the retcon of okay, this is actually what made Professor X paralyzed, and it was Magneto's mm-hmm. fault. I appreciate that more. I think that was an interesting twist. 
Um, it's definitely more of a Professor X movie than Magneto, but Magneto is still a very big part of it with his hunt for the bacon, basically. Yeah, basically. And it gave us one of the best memes of all time. Which meme? <laughs> Give me the real Raven. Oh, no, the real yeah, that, that was from that. I forgot about that. <laughs> it's so great. Oh. Right, I got three more. Two, two Marvel, one DC. What? No way. Same. I we might have the final the same final three. It would only make sense probably. I, uh, I want to save my think... DC one for last just because I think we've got same. the same one, and I still say that's the best. Yeah. No, I agree. Okay. So let's. I'm gonna go with Black Panther. Not on my list, but okay. All right. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, Before I'm, you get into I'm it, down. here's here's why it's not on my list because T'Challa okay. is already the Black Panther when we meet him. The first scene we get in Black Panther, he's already in the suit protecting okay, te- Wakanda. Te- 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 yes, like, technically it is a furthering is. of his evolution into more or less the man he's supposed to be. But I don't know. In my mental weird technical rules, I'm just going. He's already kind of. You're. He's already Black Panther in Civil War, right. but like it's a it's an introductory. Technically, you're right. We have sure. no technicalities here. It's the yeah. Wild West. <laughs> I, I, but to me, like it, it's it, Black Panther is the movie where he goes from just the guy wearing the suit to the king of Wakanda, the 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 Black Panther. Um, I, outside of the cultural re- relevance of this movie, I just love everything about it and it's one of the hardest things about the passing of chadwick is that i don't think that black panther works as well unless it's chadwick and i'm not i don't want to take away from anything anybody else could have brought to the role but and maybe this is you know hindsight 2020 but god chadwick killed it so it was it was really it's going to be a really hard act to follow and then you have like easily one of my favorite marvel villains throughout all of the films so far in killmonger and that the fact that they literally went full head of steam into the well he's got points but how he's going about it is not exactly the best uh it's like yeah, that, uh, what's it, it, that pirate meme. Well, yes, but actually no. <laughs> yes, but you can't openly say it. Um, what's it? No, it's the Eric Andre meme of how dare you say something so brave, so controversial, yet brave or true or whatever. Yeah, I like Black Panther a lot. It's not my favorite movie, but I can see where you're coming from if it being an origin movie. I'll give you this. It's an origin movie for Wakanda, more so than it's an origin movie for T'Challa. Because we'd already met T'Challa. Just like how Spider-Man Homecoming is not an origin story for Spider-Man. But you know what is an origin story for Spider-Man? Ah, crap. Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. The meme-ability of it. I I still am actually kind of puzzled how memed this movie has become. (laughs) Like... I feel like the only reason people it's, still talk about it as much as they have is because they love the memes. Like, it's... The original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies have gotten so weirdly glorified. Like, they're good, but so many people, I think, are just like, oh, I'm going... They're, they're 
they're fine guys, but I think you just love them because of the memes. The first one especially doesn't hold up as well as you remember because no, Green, Gob- no, Green Goblin comes across more like a Power Rangers villain. That being said, I've often said, and I said earlier today, that Superman, uh, the original Christopher Reeve one, is like the, the prototype for how to do an origin story in a movie. The original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man is how do you modernize the origin story and follow it almost to the T with the comics. Mm-hmm. You change one or two things, like why is the web fluid coming out of his skin that's gross and weird and also takes away from the intelligence of Peter Parker. But besides that, there's almost like this complete devotion to trying to follow the source material as close as they can, minus Green Goblin's look, which I'm still kind of pissed they didn't go with what they had built, which was a almost like a robotic moving mask, which is totally terrifying. Um, but that original Spider-Man, while it's cheesy by today's standards, establishes the character of Spider-Man incredibly well. And Cliff Robertson as Uncle Ben is still the best Uncle Ben to this day because Martin Sheen was good. I know you prefer Martin Sheen, but we don't get a ton of him. And he's also kind of not the best Uncle Ben in terms of just like how he treats Peter. Um Whereas Cliff Robertson is more of the stereotypical pleasant uncle. And the MCU Uncle Ben, image not found. Thanks, Marvel. I refuse to let that go. That's such a big part of Spider-Man. That's because it's going to be happy. Anyway. um... um, (laughs) But yeah, the the original Spider-Man is the quintessential origin for the modern day. It's a little cheesy by today's standards, but that entire first Spider-Man movie is so iconic. And I think a big part of that is people that didn't the few people that didn't read spider-man as a kid uh now basically no they know the spider bite landing on the hand it's been repeated to death but i credit that a lot to that original movie despite what josh wants to think because he did not like the mcguire ones i just i guess I, I don't know if i'd say i don't like them i just feel like i haven't grown with them or they haven't grown with me mm. um they are still way too cheesy, like to the point that it gets really annoying. Um, a, lo- a lot of the stuff that happens with Green Goblin, while I really like the plot point of, oh, like, you know, Green Goblin was Mr. Osborne, now he's dead, and Harry found out that Spider-Man killed him, so now he's coming after Like, that's a great... I like that as a multiple movies plot point, but... Yep. And he should have it been just, Venom, not Green Goblin. He should have. Oh, but at the same time, and and, it, and it's so hard to fight like William Defoe's performance too, because he is, for whatever reason, giving his all in that movie. Um, he doesn't know how to give half. He he doesn't, and I love that about him. But I just I think it's more of a Toby thing, and maybe again, maybe it's a. So this I I grew up reading the Ultimate Spider-Man comics, and and uh, Toby's like his Peter Parker, and really even his Spider-Man is way too nerdy for my taste, and like nerdy looking. Because here's the thing: fact of the matter is, a- Andrew Garfield's uh, Peter Parker does st- stuff with science way more than Peter Parker does. But on the flip side, you said but, nerdier. Andrew Garfield yeah. it does not look nerdy at all. But exactly. in your defense, you did read the Ultimates, and Ultimate Spider-Man 
is not really a nerdy looking dude. He is a no. he's a skater dude. But I was not the biggest fan of the Ultimates. On a lot of people weren't. That's awesome that you were. It got Ultimates to me. Ultimate Spider-Man was basically the new Fifty Two of Marvel. Of like, it did its job of getting new readers in. Yes. But over time, it hasn't particularly done. It's. It doesn't hold yeah. up particularly well. But it did its job it's, in terms of getting people through the door and getting people interested in comics. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. St- I still think the art. To me, I enjoy the art more uh, I don't than like the art style. But again, that might just be because that's what I I really that's that's the stuff that like got me into reading comics. So also I'll say Ultimate Spider-Man gave us the worst version of Green Goblin, and I hate it to this day. Oh yeah, like, I'm with you on that. I won't fight you on that at Green all. Green Goblin <laughs> is basically the size of the Hulk. Never made sense to me, and I hate it so much. It's so bad. So I've got two more. Uh, my yep. other Marvel one, I'm pretty sure Josh and I are on the same page because it's the only time we've ever actually liked this character. Oh, we might not be on the same page. It's the only time we've ever actually liked this character, and without it, there's a whole heck of a lot less of superhero movies to this day. Iron Man. Come on now. Like, yeah. Come on. You take a. Say it with me now, everyone at home. You take a B level comic book character, and all of you are going, no, but we knew who Iron Man was. Did you know who Iron Man was before 2008? Like, yes, I have a lot of Iron Man comics right here, right below my feet. Just because I have a lot of Iron Man, a lot of Captain America from my uncle when I was in junior high. So I wrote a lot of comics. But before 2008, no, he was not a, a headliner like Fantastic Four or Spider-Man or X-Men were. Yeah. So you take a basically a no-name except for the diehard comic book fans. And you pair him up. With, at the time, one of the most problematic actors of their day. It would be like, I don't know, if today you get, um, no, it's, you get blue, um, you get like an obscure DC character to be played by Steve-O, not Steve-O, Bam Margera, basically, like someone that's yeah. got a lot of issues and you make it work somehow, like on paper. Iron Man should not work. But still to this day, it's the only time I like Iron Man because it's the only time he actually grows as a person. And his origin is the most streamlined and it made sense of, okay, you done goofed. How are you going to fix that? And that's essentially what origin stories are is something bad has happened. You are responsible for this. With great power comes great responsibility, Tony. What are you going to do with that responsibility? And he goes from irresponsible to responsible. And then he immediately goes right back to irresponsible for the rest of his days until he dies at the death he deserved. But, uh, but, uh, Nathan, he saves everybody with his, his nap. Yeah, and a whole lot less people would be dead if he didn't create Ultron. <sighs> we wouldn't, Civil War wouldn't have happened if he had didn't create Ultron, legitimately. In like, which case, they would have beaten Thanos the first time around. Oh, wow. Anyway. Also, but then Vision wouldn't exist, and maybe we wouldn't have Wanda, and well, that, I guess we don't have Quicksilver. That's fine with me. Um, <laughs> that's fine with but, me. Yeah, it's complicated, but I... Like Avril Lavigne. Mm, my God, man, I'm complicated. Wow. Um, I don't know why I sang it like that. Uh, but... Yeah, that's like the the first the first and the last time I enjoyed Tony as a character, and um, there's just something so cool about him 
building the suit in his basement and like the weird passive aggressive relationship he has with one of his with one of his robots like his obvious uh love light love potential thing with pepper pots the but like the I'll say this too the pepper pots in Iron Man the first one is my favorite Pepper Potts. I don't like her really in, in, in any of the other ones because she's just, just bland. Whereas here she's sassy and she's she's uh, emotional. I, I don't. I know, take out the trash. Yeah, I take out the trash. Oh, dude. Um, and Jeff Bridges is amazing, and I love him. And box of scraps guy. Box of scraps guy. Um, there's just a lot, and t- I I kind of like Iron Man too. A little bit, boo, but that's because boo this man. <laughs> but that's also because I saw it with like my brothers and my dad, and we were laughing our heads off. Like I don't at, think that was the intended. Yeah, reaction. yeah, I know. But like my that bird. hemorrhoid joke, that hemorrhoid joke in the finale absolutely killed me. You look confused. I don't Do remember, remember the hemorrhoid joke. I okay, don't remember so... most of Iron Man too. So Pep, uh, Pepper Potts is trying to ha- ha- uh, help like them deactivate the hammer bots, right? And uh, whatever hammer the, the the guy, the main guy, have, whose name I'm forgetting at this moment, is like really like complaining and like, man, you can't do that. You can't just turn my bots off. Blah 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 blah. And Pepper like looks at somebody and just like, man, he's got a bad case of hammeroids. And I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> that's Josh humor right there. Wow. Uh, or like when uh, uh, he he uses the the fist lasers for the first time and to kill all those bots and, ro- and with co- that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like that. Come on, they're like there's some cool lines. I don't like it, but you know what? Anyway, yes, the first one <laughs> oh. is the only one that he actually like. It, it's just simple storytelling of oh, guy is confronted with mistakes. He has to correct his mistakes, and he actually does confront his mistakes. Yeah. It's just a simple, straightforward story. It also kind of makes me sad that um, I kind of was kind of hoping that they would do this for Endgame, but they didn't. They took the cheap route out of – you brought up how it was cool that he basically built something in his garage. I appreciate that um, he built a suit out of a box of scraps, like they say in the meme. I was really, really hoping in Endgame that when uh, the Milano gets stuck in the middle of nowhere – he fixes the ship as a nice callback to the first Iron Man of how Tony Stark was able to pilot a ship back to Earth that was dead in the middle of space. Like, that would have been a really, really good full circle moment of Tony using big brain. Instead, we have to have Deus Ex Machina, that is Captain Marvel, just show up and save the day. It would have been better if Iron Man, you know, saved himself even with the help of nebula but yeah all right we've saved the best for last and i i fully mean this when i say the best for last because i truly believe this is the single best origin story movie ever told comic book or otherwise and we've said for a couple others this was franchise cpr for a franchise that so desperately needed it in batman Batman Begins is one of the greatest Batman movies of all time. Absolutely. And unfortunately, at this point in time, I almost feel like Batman Begins 
due to the success of the Dark Knight and the direction that DC's taken itself in later years, I almost feel like we've gotten to the point where Batman Begins is underrated. Like, mm-hmm. so many people talk about uh, Bane and Dark Knight Rises or Heath Ledger and the Dark Knight. Both of those made a billion dollars. Batman Begins made like $600 million. Just $600 million. But also in the process was a perfect blending of real world realism but comic book source material of why does the cape always go into a perfect bat shape when he's in the air? Well, it's because of the magnets in the cape. Oh, cool. That makes sense. Why does he have such an awesome vehicle? Well, it's because the army was making this tumbler, but they didn't think it was worth one soldier's life to have this kind of Kevlar armor type of stuff. Like, they explain it, but also embrace the comic book source material. But tying your villain in with your character's origin, with Ra's al Ghul, chef's kiss. That was just a brilliant move. And to use a notoriously good guy actor in Liam Neeson as your bad guy? Genius no. casting. Like, I get I get so amped with Batman Begins. Dark Knight is one of my favorite movies of all time and it sparked my love of film more than any other movie. But I've seen Batman Begins more because it's more rewatchable. I think Batman Begins mm-hmm. is one of the most rewatchable movies of all time and I feel like we don't talk about it enough anymore just because other Batman movies have come along that are quote-unquote better. But to me, there's no more important Batman for the for basically the entire franchise of Batman. There has been no more important ones. Some people might say Batman 89, but Batman Begins was important to the Batman series. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. Like, and like you said, there's like the, the, the realism that they brought to that Nolan brought to Batman that I never thought he, he would need. I mean, I obviously that it's not a perfect movie. There's certain things I still have problems with, but like at the same time, like I can't imagine anybody else playing Scarecrow. Like that is an actual legitimately terrifying Scarecrow. And uh, to kind of be self-aware enough to reference Zaz in just a, in a prison break scene, a, a throwaway scene. Okay, cool. Um, th- possibly one of the most legendary and perfect uh, uh, professor. No, oh geez, Alfred's. Oh, Michael Caine. Yeah, in Michael Caine is like he is the best Alfred out there. Jeremy Irons is pretty good, but I, I, I don't want to discount mm. the guy from the original Batman's because even when they got bad, like Batman and Robin, his Alfred is still spot on. Like I've, we've said before, Alfred is the best thing in Batman and Robin. But Michael Caine, yeah, I might agree with you. Michael Caine is. He's just such a good. He's Batman. the legendary. He's like, just so good. Ray Fiennes in Lego Batman. I hate you. Anyway, um, <laughs> but also like you, we always talk about how Snyder's like, man, he really rips stuff out of the comics. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, so so uh, what about that scene when um, when uh, at the prison break when Batman is hits his the sonar on his boot and is like flow, flies down to go kick some butt and there's bats swirling around like it's that is just so year one. cool. It's... Oh, it's so cool. Batman Begins is a perfect year one story. It it takes heavy inspiration from year one, and then Dark Knight takes heavy inspiration from the long Halloween, but it's still very much its own story. It's such a good origin story. We spend so much time with Bruce Wayne in Batman Begins that by the time he becomes Batman and does the, I'm Batman, it feels 
earned like oh that's that's batman and i still love the batman begins suit it's one of my favorite of all time i actually think i like it more than the dark knight one i think dark knight has i don't know it's too i'm trying to think of the right words for tactile maybe of two like swat team as opposed to Mm -hmm. batman begins looks like a superhero suit i don't mind the dark knight one but batman begins suits better even if he can't turn his head and that makes getting out of the driveway a little tougher. Uh, but honestly, there's so no there's no bad casting in Batman Begins. I know some people prefer Maggie Gyllenhaal over Katie Holmes. I think Katie Holmes is much better as Rachel Dawes. There's no bad casting. Michael Caine, Carmine Falcone, um, Ra's al Ghul, we've said. Just Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox, which mm, introducing yeah. Lucius Fox into basically the pop culture because up until that point he was a comic book character but not a widely known person of a lot of times in batman movies when he needs a new gadget it just magically makes itself or it just magically happens to be in the bat cave as opposed to having someone there that can be an ally for him um i i just love batman begins so so much and i think it's such an important movie for the world of superhero genre because it, it really restored the balance of Superman after Batman and Robin so thoroughly misunderstood what people wanted. As I get older, I refuse to say Batman and Robin is a bad movie. I just think it the movie misunderstands what the audience wanted and the audience misunderstood what Joel Schumacher was going for. It From yeah, a technical absolutely. standpoint, it is a perfect homage to the 60s Batman. But at that point in time, no one wanted that. I think if that came out yeah. now, it would be probably a little bit better received as like a tribute to the old school style. But back then, we didn't have as many comic book movies as we do now. I could talk about Batman Begins all day. It's one of my favorite oh, comic same. book movies of all time. That's that's a whole other discussion we need someday, maybe for like episode 150 or 200 of our top 10 comic book movies, just period. Because this is probably pretty high up there. If, mm-hmm. if a movie called The Dark Knight didn't exist... This would be my favorite live action Batman because mm-hmm. so long as something else exists um, in animated form, that'll probably almost always be better until until Matt Reeves Batman comes along and gives us Robin at some point. Then then my heart can be full. Any closing thoughts mm-hmm. on Batman Begins before we take this thing home, Josh? Fantastic movie. Uh, in in my opinion, perfect depiction of. The ba- of Batman, Bruce Wayne, and that on the Gotham world, whereas in comparison to Dark Knight, tries to do something of its own with it. And it, to me, it's not Batman. It's still a cool movie, but it's not Batman. Um, it's Goodfellas. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's a crime fellas. movie, which is good. It's um, an excellent movie, but yeah, absolutely. It's but at the same time, it's just it's not. It's not. But, but Batman. In fact, you know what? What time is it? And also, right. unlike some other, I'm gonna ba- go watch it. I'm gonna go watch it right now. <laughs> and unlike some other Batman's, this Batman still has a moral code. Um, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna wade into those dangerous waters Ooh. today because that's just gonna piss some people off. But I don't care. Well, what do you guys think? What are some of your favorite origin movies of all time? comic book movie or otherwise let us know we always like hearing from you guys and as always if you like what you hear and you want to hear more subscribe to whatever audio platform you're listening to us on whether it's itunes spotify google Podcasts, youtube and if you haven't already subscribe to us on youtube at untraded media we are getting really really close to 500 subscribers we're about 30 people away we hope to get that by the end of the year so 
help us out. We want to get to 500 because you're awesome. We believe you can help us get there. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.